How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Everyone have a good Christmas? Did you get everything you ever wanted? No. Hey, good thing Christmas comes every year, so, and your birthday, and Mother's Day and Father's Day, so there's plenty of chances, so hope everybody's doing great. Um, if this is your first time with us, just want to say welcome. We're happy that you're here. Um, for those of you that may not know me, my name is Brent. I am the pastor of our students here, and uh, I love what I get to do. Um, and I'm excited to be able to spend some time with you guys this morning. Uh, before we hop in, though, I'm going to open us up with a quick word of prayer, uh, and we'll, we'll get started. So, Lord, God, we thank you for the, uh, this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come in here, God, and be in your presence, Lord, and just be, uh, be challenged, God, with our life, God, and where we are. And I pray that your truth just speaks to us this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So first off, I'm going to have to apologize if I have to clear my throat a lot during this, don't make fun of me. I had the flu on Thursday over Christmas vacation. How terrible time. I never get sick, but I'm recovering like amazing. But you can still come like shake my hand. I'm not contagious anymore, I swear. But if I have to clear my throat a few times, it's because I'm still recovering. So I have my water. So just let the awkwardness come and I'm going it'll to, be, it'll be good. So, um, but uh, New Year's is upon us. Who all loves New Year's? Like two are you. That's awesome. Who all remembers Y2K? Yeah, and it didn't happen because we're still here, right? So I remember I was 12 years old, so do the math. I'm 24, still young. I was 12 years old when Y2K was going to happen. I remember the place I was at, the people I was with, the emotions going through my body, and the fear as a 12-year-old thinking the world's coming to an end. You know what I'm talking about? Like the whole mind calendar thing, which didn't happen, by the way. I remember, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew Y2K was going to happen, even though I didn't know what Y2K was. But I was convinced that the power was going to go out, the water wasn't going to work, and all this stuff. And I remember I'm watching the ball drop in Times Square on TV with like 10 seconds left. And as a 12-year-old, I run to the kitchen, and I'm like, i got to get one last drink of water before Y2K hits, right? You know what I'm talking about? I was scared to death. And like, that's the only New Year's I ever remember. All the other ones are just a blur, just because they weren't exciting, because it's New Year's, and... It's not exciting to me too much, but um, Y2K didn't happen. So that's, that's what happened to me when I was 12. So, um, but t- today we're wrapping up our Maxed Out series. Um, this is our fifth week, I believe. And what we've been doing during this whole thing is I think a lot of us have realized, and we just realized probably, that the holiday season can be extremely stressful, right? It can be uh, full of stress. We can be on edge. We can be freaked out a lot and burned out. And really this whole concept of joy and peace during the holidays seems like really far away and really far-fetched. And this whole thing that we're doing with Maxed Out is how can we have joy in the midst of the holiday season? How can we have joy in the midst of life's circumstances and life's situations? And we've been talking about this book in the Bible called Philippians. A, a guy named Paul wrote it to a people in Philippi. The church was called the Church of Philippi. And he was talking to them because they were in a pretty similar situation that we were in of, of this struggle of trying to find joy in the midst of life's circumstances. I'm going to give you a series recap, all right? This is Southridge Cliff Notes version of the past four weeks. Are, are you ready? In case you missed out, you can always hear them on our website, on our podcast. But the first week we talked about joy versus happiness and how there's joy over here and there's happiness over here. And joy happens inside of us and happiness, happiness happens around us. Hey, can, can someone fix that clock for me so I don't have to, the broken clock from Christmas Eve? Week two, we talked about how to, how to have a great bad day, and it was all about how to have proper perspective on life, no matter what happens to you, having a, prop, a proper perspective. 
Week three, we talked about the process of joy and what it actually looks like to become like Christ and to have the character of Christ and it, how it's actually a really long process and it doesn't just happen overnight. Last week, Pastor Troy uh, talked about how to shine like stars and how complaining really dims our lights and dims our lives from shining. And all of these are directly connected to being maxed out. Now, maxed out, like I said, it's being burned out, it's being freaked out, it's being stressed out, it's being like a chicken with its head cut off running around. Who all seen that? It's like the coolest thing ever. That's what you feel like when you're maxed out. You feel like a chicken with your head cut off running around. And it's something that a lot of us deal with, whether it's during the holidays or whether it's just during life in general. And we found a solution, and we've talked about it every week. There's one answer to our problem and one solution, and it's found in a relationship with Christ, a daily relationship with Christ. That the, the, that the Bible says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is your strength, all right? And we know that Christ is the ultimate answer because Christ possesses the thing that we need. It's the joy of the Lord. Now, I'm going to run through a few quick things that we've gone through over the past couple of weeks on things that lead up to us being maxed out, all right? And I'm just going to breeze through these because we've talked to them um, a lot, but I, I still feel the need to kind of overview them. So, you don't just wake up maxed out one day randomly, all right? It's cause and effect, and things happen, and you become maxed out. And these are some things that we can deal with on a daily basis that can lead us to being maxed out. The first is that our pace is unrealistic, meaning we sometimes overcommit ourselves, we can't say no to people, and we forget that life is more of a journey instead of a sprint. But a lot of times life feels like a sprint, unless like a journey, and that's because our pace is unrealistic, and that can lead us to being maxed out. Another thing that can lead us to being maxed out is sometimes we function outside of our roles and we try to do things that we, were never, that we were never created to do. Like we try to control situations and manipulate people and we try to live up to other people's expectations of us and we just can't do it and that leads us to being maxed out because we're, we're functioning outside of the, the role that God created us for. Another one is this, that we operate with no reserves. I mean, your gas tank is always empty and we don't take care of ourselves properly and fill ourselves back up so we can give away with sincerity and with being genuine, with loving people and caring about people. But sometimes we run on no reserves and we're trying to give away stuff that we don't even have in the first place. And that can lead us to feeling maxed out. And the last one is this, that sometimes we chase after the wrong stuff in life. We think that's going to bring me fulfillment or that's going to bring me peace or that's going to bring me joy. And over time we realize that those things outside of God actually don't bring us a whole lot of fulfillment or satisfaction. And it's because we're chasing after the wrong things, and that can actually lead us to feeling pretty maxed out as well. Um, but this week, you know, we're talking about joy, all right? How do I keep joy in the midst of my life? How do I keep joy in the midst of my heart situations and the things that I come up against on a daily, on a, on a weekly, on a yearly basis? And what we're going to talk about this morning is something I think a lot of us deal with, and is this whole thought of how do I keep my joy, consistently? How do I get joy to stick within my life? Like thinking about the upcoming year, how can I keep joy in 2013 consistently? How can it stick? Because a lot of us, and I'm speaking from this as well, a lot of times in life we feel like our joy is robbed or our joy is stolen from us, whether it's situations that happen around us or situations that happen to us, we feel like our joy is often robbed from us and we have a hard time holding on to it and really keeping it. And this whole thought of how do we keep our joy this upcoming year? How can we make it stick? How can joy be consistent? It's something I think a lot of us desire to know the answer to and a lot of us want to experience. And the whole thought of our joy being robbed, I think a lot of us can relate to that too because our joy can be robbed with big things and our joy can be robbed with small things, things we might not even realize or understand. Like some big things might be like 
that bonus you're planning on getting or that raise you're hoping to get at work <clears throat> and it didn't come, even though you'd already planned it into your budget and it never came, that can suck and steal your joy away pretty quickly. Or that marriage or that relationship that you try your best to do the right thing and to work on and, and nothing seems to be changing and, and nothing really seems to be getting better and nothing seems to be happening and it's discouraging, that can rob us of our joy. Or this is going to be painful for some of us. It's a little painful for me. When your football team loses 70 to 31 in a championship game, come on. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that'll suck your joy away immediately. Like, I think they scored on us in the first minute and a half, and I was like, this is over. Like, there's no point. My joy was, was robbed from me. It's sad, but it's true, and I'll be the first one to confess. Or that person that cuts you off in traffic, it's like, hmm. And you just judge them because they're bad drivers when we really don't know what's going on. They could be rushing to the hospital to meet someone, but we just assume they're terrible drivers. You know what I'm talking about? And that robs us of our joy. There's all these things in our daily lives, our weekly lives, that can rob us of our joy that we really, really, really want to keep. You know what I'm talking about? In John 10, verse 10, this is what Jesus says. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. All right? There's a thief. His name is, is, is Satan. He is our enemy. His whole purpose, his whole desire for your life is to steal, kill, and destroy it. He wants to rob you of your joy, rob you of everything good that God has for you. Christ goes on to say, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That our enemy wants to do anything and everything he can to distract us and blind us from the joy that comes from a personal relationship with Christ. Because our enemy knows that's our life source. That's the very thing that gives us joy. This whole thought of how do I keep my joy consistently? How do I experience real joy in life? It's found in Christ, and our enemy knows that. So it would make sense that he would want to do everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy the things that are going to lead us to that. And our, our joy, it's found in that relationship. And when he can rob us of that, he's doing his job. But this thought of how can I keep joy in the upcoming year? Paul, in Philippians 4, right, because he wrote to this, these people in a city called Philippi, and he wanted to encourage them about the upcoming year and about their future because they were in a similar situation that we're in where their joy was being robbed. Sometimes they were keeping their joy. Other times it was being stolen, and sometimes it was being destroyed, and they can never seem to hold on to it. And this is what Paul said to them. He says, regarding your future in the upcoming year, 2013 for us, he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, in case you didn't hear me the first time, rejoice, which is another way of saying be joyful in the Lord. So apparently Paul knew that, Paul knew that these people in Philippi, and apparently he knows that we need today, we needed to be encouraged to always rejoice in the Lord and then rejoice even more because Paul knew there were going to be times and circumstances where our joy was possibly going to be robbed and taken from us if we weren't aware of those situations. And Paul encouraged them with that. In Philippians 4, 8 through 9, this is really the key text that I'm going to be uh, speaking from today. This is what Paul says, all right? So in the upcoming year, how can we keep our joy? No matter what happens to me, no matter what takes place, how can I consistently keep joy within my life? This is what Paul says to them. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. So one final thing, meaning this is it. Like, if you forget everything else I've talked about Everything else we've talked here on Sunday mornings about the past four weeks, even though, you know, they're important. But one final thing, if you can just get this, if you can understand this, this is, what, this is the thing that's going to help you keep your joy. This is the thing that's going to sustain you. This is the thing that's going to give you life. And that's what Paul was saying here. One final thing, and it is this. To keep your joy, fix your thoughts on what is true. 
and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me and everything you've heard and seen me doing. And then he says, and then the God of peace is going to be with you. And in other words, then you're going to have true joy within your life. So Paul saw their situation and their circumstances of their joy being robbed. And he knows that the greatest thing that they have in their, in their life is being able to hold on to that joy that's found in their relationship with Christ. And he says, the thing that's going to keep that is by us fixing our thoughts on things that are true, things that are lovely, things that are honorable, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy, and things that are lovely. And we're going to talk about what those things are here in just a moment. But here's our problem. I think from time to time, a lot of us, and I'll be the first one to admit this, myself included, we lose perspective on the truth about who God is. We lose perspective about the truth of, of who God has always been, who God is now, and who God will always be. That we, we forget to fix our thoughts on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy, these truths about who God is. And I fear that when we forget who God is, when we forget who God has always been, that's when we have our joy robbed from us. And that's when we become maxed out. And what we need this morning, I believe, it, it, it's, it's reminders of who God is, who God has always been, and who God will always be in our lives, despite our brokenness, and in our world, despite its brokenness. Because our brokenness does not affect God's character. And our brokenness does not affect the truth of who God is, who God has always been, and who God will always be. But in Hebrews 6, the Bible talks about how our hope in Christ is like an anchor for our souls. So imagine yourself for a second. This may be the first time you've ever imagined yourself as a boat, but we're going to do it, so just make me happy. And imagine yourself as a boat. You can be on a lake or out in the ocean. It's your choice. But this crazy storm comes, and you have no time to get back to shore. If you have no anchor, what's going to happen to you? If the storm's bad enough, your boat, which is you, you're going to get swayed back and forth, taking wherever the wind and the waves are going, right? You're going to have zero control over what's happening because of this craziness that's going on around you, this storm. But if you have an anchor on your boat, what do you do? You throw the anchor off, and the anchor goes to the bottom, and the anchor hits the ground, and you don't stay in place when you, when you have an anchor, but you stay stable enough to know where you are and that you're going to be okay and that you're safe. And the Bible talks about how our, our hope in Christ, when we fix our, our thoughts on things that are true and excellent and praiseworthy, that it's an anchor for our soul, meaning no matter what happens in life, when you fix your thoughts and your mind on these things we're going to talk about this morning, that that's an anchor for your soul, and that's going to keep you stable throughout life, throughout circumstances, throughout times of confusion, throughout times when you have questions, throughout times when you don't understand and you doubt. Our hope in Christ is an anchor for our soul. So how can we keep joy this upcoming year? Where can we turn to? Now, I'm just going to straight up say this up front. What I'm going to tell you this morning is not profound at all. Like, I promise you, if you've been in church your whole life, went to vacation Bible school, this is stuff they taught you in preschool, all right? So you're going to hear this and think I spent, like, no time on the message, and I, and I really didn't prepare, because it's pretty simple stuff. But the reality is, when it comes to the God that's simple, is powerful, because it's usually the simple things about God that we forget that actually have the power to change our lives. And what Paul is talking about this morning, about fixing our minds and our thoughts on things that are true and pure and lovely and excellent, it's fixing our minds on who God is, who God has always been, and who God will always be, despite our brokenness and despite the broken world that we live in. So the goal here this morning is to remind us 
or maybe for the first time, tell you and encourage you of who God is, despite our brokenness and despite our world. My goal is to get us to think and to decide and to act on what we hear today. Wherever you may be in life, whether you're close to God or you're on the fence, you don't know what you believe, it's okay. We're all somewhere in life. But I pray that you act on what you hear today and just give it thought. So if you want to maintain joy in life, no matter what, we have to fix our thoughts on things that are true, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. And remember, this is going to be preschoolish, all right? Are you ready? Say yes, please, so that can go on. Awesome. Remember, God is great. See, I told you it was going to be simple, right? You guys have heard that before. You have to remember that God is great because there's going to be times in life because of what's going on that we're going to forget because we're going to look at the situations around us, so we're going to focus more on that, and it's going to blind us from forgetting who God is, that God is great. In Psalm 62, it says this. It says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. And the first thing is this. It says that power belongs to you, God. And the truth is that God is great, which means that God is powerful, which means that God is sovereign, which means that God has all authority, that God has the final word. But sometimes when we look out in the world, it can be hard to believe that God's great and that God's powerful and that God's sovereign and that God has authority because of things that happen to us or things that happen around us. Just like that tragic shooting in Connecticut a few weeks ago. You look at that and you're like, how can God be great when things like that happen? Couldn't he step in and stop that? And the truth is he, he probably could. I, I don't know the answer to that. But we talk here a lot about how we live in a broken world with broken people, and when there's brokenness, things get messy and things get messed up. But sometimes with life's circumstances, whether it's personal things or things we see out in the world, blind us from remembering that God is great because we base it off what we see here. In Isaiah 55, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we're down here, and God's, God's way up here, all right? Our thoughts are down here, God's thoughts are up there, that God's ways are greater, God's thoughts are greater, God is higher, God is bigger, God is greater and more powerful than us. And we become maxed out when we forget that, and we don't remember that God is great. So I have a question for you, and it's going to sound simple, but I'm going somewhere. How do you view God? Think about that right in your brain right now. How do you view God? And I'm not talking about, I view God as some guy up in heaven doing his thing, and maybe when I die, I'll go up there and hang out with him and spend time with him. I'm talking about, how do you view God? Like, who do you see God as? Do you see God as great? Do you see God as powerful? Do you see God as having final word and all authority? Do you see God like that? Or do you see God as low and unworthy and separate from humanity and not really connected to us and Believe it or not, that view that we have on God is affecting the way that we live our lives. And we have to remember that God is great. There's a guy named A.W. Tozer. He said this. He said, nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy conception of God. And my thought from that is this, that how we view God is going to determine how I live my life. How I view God is going to determine how I live my life. That if I view God as low and unworthy, why would I trust God? a God like that? If I view God as incapable, why would I have faith in a God like that? But if I view God as great, if I view God as powerful, if if I view God as having authority and and really the last word for who he actually is, that's going to affect the way that I live. 
And my view of God, it, it's affecting the choices that I make every day. It's affecting the person that I'm becoming. And it's having an impact on whether my joy is being robbed or my joy is being stolen. And we may not even consciously realize that, that our view of God is actually affecting the choices that we're making and how we are living our lives. How do I see God? Do I see him as great? Do I see him as powerful? Or do I see him as something else? It's a thing of trust. And sometimes we struggle with remembering God is great. And I think God is aware of that, and that doesn't offend him in any way, because we're forgetful people. I forget things all the time. I don't, I don't know about you guys. And we struggle with remembering that God is great. And I don't know about you guys, but when, like, my life, when it's, like, smooth sailing, I don't know what's up with me and boats and water today, but just go with it. When life's easy and waters are, are good and smooth sailing, and you hear someone saying, God's great, God's all-powerful, God's got final word and all authority, and he's powerful and great, you're like, yes, absolutely, I totally believe that. And then one thing goes wrong, and it's like, God, where have you gone? I don't understand anything anymore. You're not even real. You know what I'm talking about? All because of life's circumstances. So when I hear someone saying God's great and life's good, I can believe that. But when I hear someone say God's great and I have questions and God feels far away and I don't know, it's hard to believe that because my vision gets blurred because I'm basing God off what I see down here instead of what his word says. And that's something that we deal with. But we have to remember that God is great and it's an anchor for our soul. So we can doubt God's greatness when we become maxed out. We can doubt God's greatness when things happen in life we probably won't ever understand no matter how much we try because God's great, God's higher. And we have to hold on to that anchor of truth that God is great despite how I feel, despite my circumstances. I base the truth off of who God is, off of what his word says and who he has always been, who he will always be. That God is great. But when I forget that, when we forget that God is great, our joy is robbed. We become maxed out. Second thing is this. If you want to maintain your joy and not have it robbed this upcoming year, remember, this is simple stuff. You have to remember that God is good. Did anyone else pray this prayer when you were younger? Maybe you do it now with your family. Before dinner, I would always pray with my family, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. And then we'd all be like, amen. Does anyone else do that? It didn't even rhyme. But it, it was a good prayer. You know what I'm talking about? That God is great, God is good. This is simple stuff, but it's good. Psalm 62, it says, this is the second thing. Because remember, the other verse said, two things I've heard God say. The first is that God is powerful. And it says this. The second is, is this. With you, Lord, is unfailing love. Which means that God is good. That God has good intentions toward us. That God has good plans for your life. But for some of us, it's hard to see God as good because of our upbringing and things we've experienced. Maybe we were brought up to think that God was separate from humanity and he was just that old cranky man in the sky watching us, waiting for us to trip up so he could zap us with lightning, you know what I'm talking about? Or like that kid with the magnifying glass trying to burn all the ants. That was me. Did anyone else do that? Some of us think that's what God's like, you know what I'm talking about? It's like he's just waiting for me to mess up and that's far, far from the truth of who God is because the Bible says that God is great. The Bible says that God is filled with compassion and grace. He's rich in love and rich in mercy, that God is good. Jeremiah 29, 11, you guys have probably heard this before. God says this, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
So God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That God didn't say, I have no idea the plans I have for your life, because I honestly have never even thought that far out. Like, that's not what God's saying. He's, he's not saying, your plans, I don't know, they, they may hurt you, they may, like, remove any hope from your life. You may have, like, no future. Like, I have no idea, because, like, I just, like I said, I haven't thought that far out yet, like, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God knows the plans he has for you. They're plans of, for, for good, for hope, for a future. Because God's good. In Psalm 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, so God is good, all right? God's good all the time. He's always been good. He was created good. He's been around forever, and he will always be good, even through eternity. He's good. And this verse says, we got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Does anyone in here like sushi? Let me hear you. All right, a lot more than first service. Does anyone in here despise sushi? Oh, come on. It was pretty evenly split first service. There's a lot more sushi haters in this place. It's cool. So, we gotta t- I'm going to connect sushi and God. Are you ready for this? All right. Yeah. So, we have to taste and see that the Lord is good, all right? So, like I said, God has been good the whole time. He's always been good. He'll always be good. He'll be good forever because he's God and he's good, all right? Do you get the point? God's good. For me, growing up, I never ventured out to eat a whole lot. And then I started going on missions trips, and you had to eat what they put in front of you. And I've eaten some really messed up stuff. So if you want to come talk to me, I'll be happy to share with you. But all of that to say, I never wanted to eat sushi prior to going on mission trips because it was made of seaweed and like raw fish and I was like who would want to eat that I'm like I hate sushi and my friends would try to get me to eat sushi and I'm like I hate sushi it's like well have you tried sushi I'm like no because I hate sushi why would I eat sushi I hate it it's like you've never tried it I'm like do I have to try something to hate it kind of like if you see anything green like broccoli you automatically hate it any of those people out there that was me with sushi I never tried this stuff but I hated it and then one day it happened. I don't even know what happened. I gave in to peer pressure or something. I tried sushi for the first time, and it was amazing. All you sushi lovers out there know what I'm talking about. It was awesome. But the whole time, I was neglecting sushi. The whole time, it was sitting here all by its precious self, and it was good. The whole time, it was good. It was always good. It was always good. It never was bad, even though I was over here thinking it was bad, saying I hated it, I never wanted to try it, even though when I was over here neglecting it and not wanting it, it didn't affect how good it was. You see what I'm talking about? And I tasted the sushi, and I saw that it was good. That's a Bible verse. (laughs) That's just my own translation. But as weird of an analogy as this is, it is the exact same with God, that God is over here, God is good, God's, God has always been good, God will always be good, forever he will be good, and I can neglect that, I cannot believe that, I can run away from that, but that doesn't affect God's goodness. My brokenness doesn't affect God's character. My brokenness doesn't affect who God is and who God will always be. And this Bible verse says we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I'm going to give you practical ways to taste God. That might sound really weird, but just go with this, all right? Practically, we can taste God by getting in a life group and letting God use others in in your life to mold and shape you because that's how God works. You can taste God by opening up your Bible and thinking about what God has already written to you because he's trying to get your attention, and you can try to the best of your ability to live out what you're reading and just apply it. We don't have to be perfect. 
but you can taste God by at least trying. You can taste God by talking to a trusted friend about that struggle or that fear that you have that is putting such a deep burden and weight on your soul. You can taste God by talking to them about it. You can taste God by admitting you're broken and only God can fix you because sometimes we try to get all the duct tape and all the glue and all the rubber cement that we can get and we try to piece ourselves together. You know what I'm talking about. And it works for a little while and then everything wears off and duct tape doesn't work like it's supposed to and we fall to pieces again. That's because we weren't made to fix our own brokenness that God was. And when you practically taste God, you're going to practically see that God is good. Just like that sushi, I tasted it and when I tasted it, I saw that it was good because I started feeling the effects from it when it hit my taste buds, and it was awesome. It's the same with God. When you taste that God is good, you're going to automatically see that God is good, and this is how. That when you taste that God is good by getting in that life group and getting around people that are, aren't perfect but are there to support you and help you along in life, you're going to see that God is good by parts of your life beginning to change and that brokenness inside of you being mended because that's how God works. You're going to see that God is good after you open up your Bible and just try to apply his word to the best of your ability to your life. And you're going to see how God's word, the Bible says, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It has the power to change your life. That God's word has the power to change the deepest, darkest parts of your life and your heart and your soul that we can't even touch and change. But something happens when you start living out what God has already said and, starts to, and parts of your life start to change. You're going to see that God is good. After you taste God by talking to that friend about that struggle you have and those fears that you have and those things you just can't get over, you're going to see God's good because that weight that was on your heart and on your soul that was so heavy is going to be lifted. And that burden that you were carrying is, is going to be taken off. You're going to see that God is good. You're going to see that God's good by understanding that God really is the only one that can fix our brokenness. As much as I try to do it on my own, I can't. That God's the only one capable. That God is good. He's always been good. His intentions toward us are good. He's full, he's full of love, rich in compassion, full of mercy. And God is good. But when we, we forget that God is good, we can be robbed of our joy and become maxed out. So we've got to remember God's great and my brokenness does not affect God's character and who he is. We have to remember God is good and he always will be. We have to remind ourselves when times in life come, because they're going to come every week, where you're going to be at a fork in the road, where you can either have your joy robbed or keep your joy. And there's going to be times where you're going to need to preach to yourself and remind yourself of how great God is and how good God is. Because we forget. We become maxed out. And we lose perspectives. And we aren't fixing our thoughts on things that are true and honorable and trustworthy, the things about God that are true of who he is and who he will always be and who he is today. And the last thing is this. You have to remember that knowing Jesus changes everything. You have to remember knowing Jesus changes everything. And sure, that sounds simple, and it's supposed to be. But it says knowing Jesus changes everything about your life. And it's not like one thing over here and then a couple things over here. But this part of my life doesn't get changed. The Bible talks about how God sent his son to die for us. And it's because of what Christ did for us upon that cross of bearing the weight of our sin. that He made a way. And when, when, when we really know Christ, when we really know Jesus, it changes everything about us. Maybe not all at once, but this process begins to take place where the brokenness inside of us begins to be 
mended and made whole. We have to remember that knowing Jesus changes everything. In Philippians, Paul says that he considers everything else worthless and compared with the knowledge of knowing Christ, meaning everything else is worthless compared with the opportunity I have, a, I have to have a relationship with Christ. Everything else is worthless because that's what everything comes down to. Knowing Jesus changes everything. Not my church attendance. That doesn't change a whole lot. It's very good to come to church because that's how God works. But my church attendance doesn't change everything. How much I serve doesn't change everything. Not how much money I put in the bucket when it comes by. Not how many Bible verses I know or how many scriptures I can quote. Or Not because my parents went to church, so I must be saved. And God must be a part of my life just because my parents went to church. No, no, no. It says knowing Jesus changes everything about your life. And I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. I'm talking about knowing Jesus. Like you would know your best friend. Like you would know your mom and dad. Knowing Jesus changes everything. And more importantly, knowing what Jesus did for you and did for me and accepting that has the power to change your life. The worship team can go ahead and come up. But knowing Jesus, it changes everything about your life. Everything. Back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is just the first half of your Bible. So if you opened up anywhere in that first half, there's a good chance to be in the Old Testament. And back in the Old Testament, God's presence actually resided in a building called the temple. It was God's temple. You guys have heard that before. And only certain people could actually make way into God's presence in this temple. That like within this temple, there was God's presence over here. There was a broken world on the outside over here. And there was this giant veil or giant curtain that was between and only certain people could go through that curtain and God's presence was in there and it, God is so holy that if one of these priests went in without unconfessed sin or they did something like wrong that there were times where the priest would actually fall dead as soon as they crossed that curtain because of God's presence being there. So you have God's presence over here. You have a broken world over here and you have this veil and this curtain that's right in between. We have to remember that knowing Jesus changes everything about our lives. It changes everything about God's plan and God's relationship with us. That The Bible talks about how Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So it says Christ died to bear the weight of our sin. Christ died to bear the weight of our shame and our mistakes and our guilt once for all. And all of us fall into the all category. And then it says, the righteous for the unrighteous, meaning the righteousness that Christ was in his perfection for the unrighteousness and the brokenness that we are. Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God and to make a way to God. And it says that when Christ was on Calvary and he was breathing his last breath before he died, it says that that veil that was in the temple, it split. It split from, t from top to bottom, symbolizing what was actually taking place, that there was once a separation between God and man, but when Jesus stepped into the picture and he gave his life as a sacrifice for our, our sins, he died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to make way to God. That veil and that curtain was split, and it opened up our way to God and our pathway to God through a relationship with Christ. 
that the ultimate source of joy within your life, the ultimate source of meaning, the only thing that's going to give you purpose, the only thing that's going to give you satisfaction and fulfillment, it's not religion, and it's not coming to church and singing a song and throwing money in the bucket and going out. It's having a relationship with God. Coming to church does not get you to heaven. Having a relationship with Christ gets you to heaven. And knowing Christ changes everything about your life. You have to remember God is great. You have to remember that God is good, that God is loving, that God is full of compassion. God doesn't care where you are, where you've come from, or what you're dealing with. God is calling you to come to him. You don't have to clean yourself up. He's rich in mercy, full of love, and we have to remember that knowing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, admitting I am broken, only the Savior can fix me, and I accept what he did for me upon that cross when he bore the weight of my sin and the weight of my shame and the weight of my guilt, even though I don't understand why someone so perfect and so holy would come and die for someone so broken and so far from perfect, but that's the beauty of the gospel. It says Jesus came and died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to make a way to God. And when we don't have that relationship, when we don't know Jesus, and we haven't accepted him into our life, life and that joy that everyone's longing for is going to be very minimal. And when we feel like our joy is being robbed from us constantly and we might be losing perspective of some things. We may need to ask ourselves, do I have a relationship with Christ? Have I really surrendered myself and admitted that I'm broken and admitted my sins and confessed them before God and said, God, come fix me because I can't fix myself because I've tried. If you guys would close your eyes for me. Maybe you're in here this morning and you look at your life and You feel like God isn't a part of it. You, you don't ever remember a time where you, you said, you know what, I've made mistakes, I've sinned, I can't fix myself, and I need God in my life. And maybe the reason you, f- you feel the way that you do, the, like the reason you feel empty inside, you feel like you have a, no joy in life, and you constantly feel maxed out and stressed out, and you're constantly wondering the meaning of your life and the purpose of your life might be because haven't accepted what Christ did upon Calvary for you. He made a way to God. And I believe God's calling some of you guys to step over that curtain that's been torn for you. Step into an intimate, daily relationship with the God that created you. And if that's anyone in here this morning, I'm not going to have you come down or stand up. I'm just going to have you raise your hand for me. It's you saying, God, I need you. God, I've messed up. God, I'm, I'm sick of being religious. God, I, I want a relationship. And I think there's some of us out here this morning who would say, Brent, you know, God is a part of my life. I, I know Jesus, but I've lost some perspective on some things. And things have happened within my life that have just thrown me off where I don't remember that God is great. And sometimes I doubt God's greatness. Sometimes I doubt God's love. Sometimes I doubt God's goodness. God's purpose for me. Sometimes I forget that Jesus did everything I need. But 
this morning, I believe that God is calling some of us in here to remind ourselves this morning, to remind ourselves as we leave, to remind ourselves in this upcoming year how great God is, how good God is, how full of rich love and mercy God is, how good his intentions are towards you, how good his plans are for you, how he sent his son Christ to die for you, to pay the ultimate price that none of us could ever pay. And if you find yourself in that position where you just feel like you've lost perspective on some things and it's okay, it happens. I just want you to raise your hand for me so I can can know if I need to be praying for you. Lord God, this morning we come before you, God, broken people, God, who more often than we would like to admit, God, have our joy robbed from us, God, and we feel like life is just chaotic sometimes, Lord, and maybe that's because you're not a part of our life, Lord, and I pray this morning, God, for everyone that is, is in that position of saying, God, I need you, God, I accept you, God, I lay down my life, God, I admit my, my shortcomings, God, and my failures, and I, I ask your son to come into my life, change me, make me whole. Lord God, I pray that as we leave this place today, God, no matter what happens in life, God, that we'll never forget that Christ and our relationship with Christ is the source of our joy. It's our life source. It's what we were created for. And when those times come, because they will, because you said in your word, hard times will come in this world, but fear not, for I've overcome the world. Help us to remind ourselves during those times that God is great. God is powerful. God can handle the situation. God knows what's going on. God is good. God is full of love. God is rich in mercy. And that Jesus changes everything for us. He made a way for us to relationship with you. We ask all these things in your name.